Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. My name is Brian Lamar. I'll be your host today. This is Season 3, Episode 42. Joining me today is producer Brian Peterson. Hello, Brian. Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good. It, it. I thought that today was Friday up until like 8 o'clock this morning. Yeah. So I'm a little disappointed. It's kind of a Friday. Like you only, I think you only work a half day tomorrow. Am I making that up? Nope, that's right. I will be resealing my patio. Oh, that is big, my afternoon yeah. plan. <laughs> big Labor Day plans. Yep. Um, I'm assuming people will be listening to this after Labor Day, so I hope you had a great long weekend and you can enjoy your day back at work or whatever you're doing listening to a fun-filled news episode of IntelliCast, which is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can find us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Please email us. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. And we would love a text message at 513-401-5463. How about that transition? Two and a half years of doing this, Brian. I finally had a good transition. You got it this time. You did not say that we were brought to you by IntelliCast. IntelliCast. Four episodes. By IntelliCast. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was was my best one yet. Episode 42. Nailed it. Yeah, so a lot of news today. No guests other than you and I. Anything else you want to talk about? Is there anything going on in the world you want to talk about? Just that we're seeing sports are continuing, which is nice. Uh, baseball, which we thought might be shut down a few weeks ago, seems to have figured it out. Yeah, I think they've kind of figured it out. Yeah, there's just a couple little things here and there, but yeah, they figured it out. NBA looks to be successful. Hockey, successful. Yep. To let you know, the NHL is even talking about using the hub city for the start of next year because they don't see it. Like this going away, it'll be an expanded like four to six hub city type idea and you would rotate through it. Yeah. So it's, it sounds interesting. I mean, it's been a huge success. They've had like eight weeks of tests with no, with no positive tests. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. College basketball is now considering a pod system, which will be weird with college students. So weird world. Yeah. The only one we might miss out on is. Some of the college football, particularly Big Ten. Yeah, I think that they're they're kind of teasing they might come back in November. I think it's just I think it's a smokescreen because they don't want all their players transferring to like SEC schools. That's my conspiracy theory the other day. That's a possibility. I think that they don't. I think it'll be based on if the NCAA will do any sort of championship in the spring. If oh, they say nope. It's going to be the fall because I know they're still negotiating that piece. But if they come to say, no, the fall is going to be the champion, I would expect that you're going to see those big powerhouse schools, your Michigan, your Ohio State, Michigan State, those three, and Wisconsin, particularly for the Big Ten, come out and say, yeah, we're going to, we want to play now because particularly Ohio State, who, what is it, preseason poll, they're number two. Yeah. So they better, they better get going soon because. I don't think the SEC is canceling football. If they haven't canceled it by now, I think we're playing football. I mean, there's games this weekend, and um, SEC starts in a couple weeks. So I I don't see it being postponed. So they better get on board. Yep. I think think we've probably lost a lot of the listeners who hate the sports talk from us. So should we jump right into the news? Yeah, let's do some news. Let's get into it. There's a lot of news. Oh, yeah. 
Um, our first news story, Maru Matchbox has launched a new tech advisory consumer panel. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, you know, Maru, uh, friends of ours. We haven't had anybody on the podcast from Maru, though, have we? I don't remember. I don't think we've I ever don't had. think so. I don't think so. The thing I liked about this is how they um, describe them, which is this was a really neat way to describe them. They combine expertise in system one thinking, which is fast, instinctive, and emotional, and system two slower, more deliberate, and more logical in order to deliver a holistic understanding of consumer decision-making. That's really well done because I think system one and system two is hard to um, kind of get sometimes. Um, and, you know, there's they're obviously a very good technology team there at Maru. And so um, good for them. A technology advisory council, um, 1,500 members so far. I'm sure they'll add, they'll add to that and they claim a pretty high response rate. Yeah, I can see some of your tech companies that are ready to launch something new, maybe taking advantage of this to see if it's going to be a hit or not. Because not everyone can have an iPhone like Apple and say, yeah, everyone's going to like this without doing any research behind it. Right. Absolutely. So good job, Maroon Matchbox. Our next story, um, WPP was hit hard by COVID. I don't think that's a surprise for anybody, but I think the amount is a little surprising. They are reporting a first half loss of 2.58 billion with a b pounds compared to a profit of 409 million pounds just in 2019. Yeah, um not completely unexpected we've seen um as these public companies start releasing their earnings. This I mean this is a I mean 2.58 billion dollars is just a giant number. It's 3 billion dollars less than their profit from a year earlier. It sounds like though that they're, they're better set up for success in the long term. They talk in the article that I read, at least. They made, already did a lot of things um, like, you know, freezing pay, um, pay cuts for executive committee and the board, and no travel. Um, and it sounds like the um, $4.7 billion of liquidity thanks to the sale of part of Kantar, that really helped them um, hopefully emerge from this. So. It's not all doom and gloom for WPP, hopefully. Right. Yeah. I thought, I I think we can expect all the big ones to be hit somewhat. I just thought that number was a startling number. That's that's oh, just my thought. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I saw, maybe I made this up, but the same day that was announced, uh, Martin Sorrell's S4 Capital announced some sort of purchase the same day. They well, did, still yeah. Buying companies. yeah. We didn't put that in the news, but I think I read it the same day. If we put in the news every time Sir Martin Sorrell's company bought something, we talk about them every episode. Right. And there's still, at some point, he's buying back WPP. That's You heard it here first, like a year and a half, yeah. maybe two years ago. Yeah. You made that prediction. It's the long bet. Right. Uh, all right, let's move on. Our next one comes from a study done by McKinsey, and it's more of a term. It mentions Zoomers, the other nickname for 15 to 21-year-olds, are poised to take over the consumer economy with 70% increase in spending power over the next 10 years. Yep. We added this because Zoomers comes from the pun on boomers, not from Zoom, the tool, the conference tool. They are considered... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, this has to stick, right? Like, Zoomers has to stick because it combines Boomers plus, I mean, we're all Zooming now anyway. This All of these kids are now doing school and with Zoom. 
I don't um, like the term. I don't either, but I think it's it has to stick. And like the funny part of this is that I read the McKinsey article, and and nowhere in there does McKinsey mention the word Zoomer. This was just commentary. I think that Green Book put out. About I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you read the market, the um, McKinsey article, it does. It's one of the first things on research that really does a deep dive on that generation, um, which is 15 to 21 year olds um, and their consumer spending power. And I mean, I feel like we just started talking about millennials like six months ago, and now we're already we're moved on from millennials. Now it's, it's Gen Z or Zoomers or whatever, right? Well. I think technically I am in that window of millennials because I think it goes like 1980 to, I forget what the end round is, but it, I'm yeah. in that range. Yeah. But the description that they used for Zoomers, they say they are the anti-millennials in yeah. their drive for financial stability, image consciousness, and almost contradictory online privacy values. I, yeah. I read that, I'm like, that describes me. Well- I've heard this too. I've heard that that generation is very different and almost like old school, um, like almost like boomers, maybe like they reverted back, like a little more conservative. Right. Whereas, mm-hmm. um, you know, the millennials were not, are not conservative, but somehow I don't know how this happens. I'm sure we could read up about it, but zoomers are just very different. And, um, it talks about COVID-19 will have a generation-defining impact on Zoomers' behaviors and preferences. Absolutely. I mean, these people, we talked about that with 9-11, that there was a youth and teenagers especially, their rest of their life was probably affected by 9-11 more so than other generations. Same thing for this generation that, you know, they missed out on high school graduations and um, all these landmark moments of their lives of starting college and proms and homecoming and um, an awesome summer break that when you're 15, 16 years old is the greatest time of your life. And so absolutely this generation will be defined by and probably be a lot of billionaires based upon what we're going through right now that are Zoomers. Right. I'm thinking you're seeing that because at that with that age group, this is what the second big economic turmoil they've probably witnessed their family and parents yeah. go through. Which yep. is why I get that financial stability. They watch their parents potentially lose their retirement because of the 08 mortgage crash or lose their house. You finally started to come back and now a pandemic hit and it's yeah. it's PTSD all over again. So I can see yeah. that, that they want that stability. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of TikTok. And so I know that um, TikTok is big with the Zoomers. So I'm on board with the Zoomers on that one. All right. Yeah, I think this is a great... Uh, report from McKinsey. Yeah, and the summary absolutely. that Green Book did was great too. Yeah, the summary from Green Book um, was very fun and was kind of appealing. And we, you know, we got that newsletter. And we're like, oh, we got to throw this in. And um, you know, the, I think the research was done over this year. I think it might have been done even before COVID hit. But it's very relevant and will absolutely be relevant. Yeah, our next story, um, one that we just saw come across the wire here today. Gongos has partnered with Disco to offer organizations fully agnostic digital cons- a digital consumer view of brands in their category. Yeah, really interesting partnership here. Um, I, I don't think I would have predicted this one. As Disco is kind of headquartered out in California, a tech company, Gongos, a very kind of old school, traditional, full service firm in Michigan and the Midwest. 
and maybe it's a perfect marriage. It, like like reading about this, it sounds pretty cool. Um, you know, Disco's a newer. Uh, we would call them a panel company. They describe themselves as a permission first party audience data. Um, they bring behavioral input at scale, and then Gongos will analyze it and contextualize it against brand metrics to deliver custom insights. Sounds pretty cool. Um, and I think that this is kind of what's happening in this era is some um, unique partnerships leveraging um, complementary skills. And we've seen that a lot lately. I think um, we did a story last week with Focus Vision and adding a bunch of new sample people. And we've seen um, a lot of other kind of random deals that you didn't, that kind of came out of nowhere. But this, yeah, this like, is just, yeah, go ahead. Like that Dynata Sharper one. We saw that just last, last week, yep. week as well. It feels like ev- every week for the last, I want to say, six weeks, there's been something like this. Yeah, I think that now's the time to like innovate think outside the box, take some risks, right? And if maybe that's some positive that's come out of what we're going through as a society is that people are like, huh, what are we missing? Well, let's call up, let's call up Disco and see if we want to think of partnership. They're kind of cool. That's how I envision that happened is that, you know, Camille Nasita, I think that's her name. She's the Gongos president. So she probably just called up Armin at, at Disco or Bonnie and said, hey, let's make a deal. And then they figured it out over a napkin, like um, on a Zoom call. Yeah, I think so. And I think I would say that maybe this doesn't happen without COVID and how that's impacted all the like consumer behavior changes. Because yeah. I, for full transparency for everybody, we had a webinar yesterday around panels and consumer behavior and tracker studies. And right now you're seeing the biggest, cha- the biggest, fastest change in consumer behavior that's happened, what, probably ever? Yeah, and certainly, I don't know, since internet, like when buying online took off, I guess that was early 2000s. The Would you even say, bubble. though, that the chi- – yeah, but even then, not everyone was buying stuff online. That t- still took well, a couple years to pursue. Yeah, that was We've slow. changes take place in a matter of days. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yep. So, yeah, let's go talk about the webinar. Good segue. Thanks. We did a webinar about – it was really about, we thought this was a good opportunity to rethink tracking studies because of a few things. One of them is a lot of disruption in the industry. A lot of these deals are being made, um, but also it's time to reset. It's a perfect opportunity to reset because you may not be comparing data from um, today to data from January or data from a year ago. It may not be relevant anymore. And so all of these old trackers that are, a lot of them are still 30, 40 minutes long. A lot of them maybe not even be mobile friendly. A lot of them are still really from the old phone and paper and pencil days. Now is the time to redo them. And so we talked a lot about that in the webinar. It's available all on our website if you want to take a listen to it. I think it was really good. It's, it's an hour long, but um, I think it was very relevant. And it's basically just here's how we think about tracking studies. Here's how we could transition a tracking study. Here's how we see the industry evolving with all these technological changes and new entrants and commoditization of sample. And so I think it's worth a listen. Yeah, I think you're right. The other piece is that you've always talked about some of the best practices for it, and you always need to compare your results on your tracker studies to what's going on, the current market conditions. And the current market conditions now are unlike anything that has happened since 1918. Absolutely. So you're going to have nothing to compare it to. So, and since this isn't going to be something that's going to be a blip in 2020 and 
we're never going to see it again. We, I think we all come to realize we're not going to live with this forever, yeah. at least for the foreseeable future. Now is the time to reset that stuff because you have to reset your your thought process and your expectations for it because everything has changed. Yeah, they say, I'm not sure what the true fact is, but they say that, you know, 28 consecutive days of doing something will create a new habit, right? Yep. And we're, we're way beyond that in terms of creating new habits. And so some people, most of us probably will never go back to the way we lived before. We're shopping differently. We're doing, going to school differently. We're going out to eat less frequently, proper, probably. We're ordering more food online for delivery services, probably. And we just think about it differently. And then we're never going to go back. So, yeah, it's absolutely time to reset everything about a tracking study. Right. And I can even give an example just on me. If you're going back to those changes, if you had asked me in the beginning of March, I don't, I didn't use DoorDash. We would still go out for dinner. I never, I've done, did like the Kroger pick list or the pickup grocery thing like once or twice, wasn't a big fan. If you ask me now, that's about all. If I need anything from Walmart, I do pickup. I think they do a great job. Yeah. I use DoorDash on a weekly basis. Yeah. I don't, my kids, my son wears a mask all day, every day to preschool and he's three and a half and he keeps that thing on all day. It is normal for him. And while it's disappointing for me that he thinks it's normal, it's what he has to do at this point. But right. my even my perceptions six months ago are different than what they are now. Right. Absolutely. Whole new world. So come to EMI for your tracking studies because we can help you transition them and change them. Yeah. So <laughs> Sorry I put us down that rabbit hole, but no. I just thought I, I don't think this kind of thing would be happening if COVID hadn't happened. So I'm yes. trying to find a silver lining here. Absolutely. And, you know, we love Gongo and Disco both. And so good move for them. And we're looking forward to see what they have to offer. Yeah. Our next one, we've talked about virtual panels in the past and other things about panels. Well, Brandwatch has added a new social panel feature to its consumer research platform. It enables researchers to build panels and focus groups from authors on the most frequently used social media platforms. Yeah, this is really interesting. And so they think, speaking of acquisitions, they bought a survey company called Curiously, which is spelled weird. It doesn't have the U. It starts with a Q, right? It's QR, which is, first of all, that's weird. But anyway, they archive, like, that seems like one of the names that we would have changed our company name to, Curiously, without the U. They probably have, like, something funny to say without the U. And there's no Q, there's no U in team. I don't know. Um, Maybe I think we'd be changing to spork without the O. Right. Spork, spork the Canadian version spelling with the O U. All right. Anyway, we may want to edit this out. But Brandwatch, they bought a company called Curiously last year. They archive millions of social media conversations each day. And then they provide like people, users to analyze them. And so they built kind of a social panel with a custom list of authors and content and, and, gives people kind of filters to identify the right type of people. Kind of interesting. And you, this I'm not going to steal your thunder. You talk about virtual panels that we talked about a couple weeks ago. This seems like better than virtual panels, right? I would agree, yes. Um, I think this could probably be more useful than the virtual panels because it's still real people with real – let me say that. I hope it's still real people. We all it know seems like a lot people. out there. 
Right. right. I, you might have an unintended bot in there versus working specifically with those bots as a virtual panelist. But yeah. with this one, if you are curating their, what people are posting on there, you might get some natural feelings because they are just putting their fe- just putting their true feelings out there like, hey, I love Skittles. Okay. Right. right. They don't have to answer a survey for you, but you can curate that in if I'm understanding this right. I think this could give you some, I think this could give people some really good insights without having to go through the the normal survey process, perhaps. Well, they talked, Rebecca Carson, who's the chief product officer, she talks about um, why they built it, providing robust representative unprompted insight from social data, but also, and I really, I'm intrigued by this last part, completely challenged the notion of traditional demographics. I want to reach out to Rebecca and have a conversation with her because I'm really intrigued by this now that I'm thoroughly reading the article on air as we used to do. I I think we need, I think we might need to ask her to come on to talk about this because I think you and I are both intrigued by this. She's probably a listener. Maybe. (laughs) Oh, they're UK based, even better. They probably, yeah, that's why there's no you. Ah. And curious. Anyway, that was good. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, we have about four new we have about four other stories here that came from actually the Insights Association recent email on their what do we want to call it their Oh, uh, that Howard Feinberg puts out yeah. about all the kind of the legislative things. Yeah, the, the legislative stuff, the advocacy, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, our first one from that is that judges have struck down the privacy shield that is endangering the U.S.-Europe data transfers, which includes any sort of market research data. So if you're a market research firm in the U.S. and you've collected data from, say, European respondents, you, you're GDPR compliant, but you may not be able to get that data back. Yeah. There is some good news. It sounds like the leaders on both sides are working on a new agreement to replace it. Yeah, let's hope so. I, the Inside Association Coalition Privacy for America, apparently cheered the announcement that leaders on both sides of the ocean, that's the U.S. and the EU, um, working on a replacement agreement. Hopefully it's bigger and better. It also says the court decision has added some hurdles with data sharing and um, activists behind the court case have already filed more than 100 complaints with the, with the European data privacy authorities. This is a complicated issue. Thank, I, mean, I really wanted to add these articles to talk about Howard Feinberg and what an amazing job he does for the Insights Association. All this legislative advocacy stuff is foreign for most of us in research, but so important when you're talking about huge fines, like with GDPR and CCPA, and um, the impact of striking down the US-EU privacy shield, which is something that I would have never thought about. It's, that wasn't really relevant to me. Then I read it and like, oh my God, what is going on? You know, And from your perspective as well. Yeah, that that has you wouldn't think about it, but now if you read it, that has major major implications. Yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, um, our next two kind of go hand in hand. Yep. Washington D.C. has voted to end, voted at the end of July to reject a proposed three percent tax on the sale of data, yeah. as requested by the Insights Association, yep. and a proposed Nebraska law expanding the reach of their sales tax to most services like market research has been indefinitely postponed and is effectively dead. Yes. Those are awesome stories. I heard about that DC vote 
Um, I'm surprised it didn't pass. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of people in marketing research that are, you know, advocacy groups for us. And so I association leads that charge and them waging a successful campaign to defeat it is huge. 3% sale of data is, uh, could be giant when you're talking about D.C. and then also Nebraska, um, kind of killing that is a big deal as well. So kudos to the Insight Association. Yeah, and I think the efforts by Howard and the team there are probably a little unsung at the moment, just Absolutely. with all of everything else going on, which is I think is why you wanted to highlight these today. Absolutely. Yeah, so great work by that team. There's a lot going on in the world and continue to kind of stay focused on these items, which – 99.9% of researchers have no idea what's going on, and the, the, somebody fighting for their best interests, huge. Our last one from that is the California Secretary of State has approved the final CCPA regulations, including a handful of changes, and he did that back on August 14th. These changes and rules went into effect and enforced immediately. Yeah, so you can get fined from this, whatever those changes are. And I, I thought it was interesting that there was not a summary of what the changes were. It was like, here, read this. Like, it's probably so complicated what these rule changes are. And it's so frustrating for people that, you know, we prepared for CCPA for quite a while. And, you know, it's just recently you could be fined for it. And then all of a sudden, boom, immediately new rules. Um, as if it weren't hard enough to manage. So um, thank you to at least notifying people that that was passed and there's an impact of that. And, you know, all of us should have a data privacy officer and a compliance person that should be reading that and making any adjustments as needed. Yeah. Our next couple stories involve some of our past co-hosts of Poll Party. And oh, yeah. That, frequent uh, guests yeah. Of, of IntelliCast. Can people still listen to Poll Party? They can. Um, they can <laughs> okay. go back and listen to them. Actually, you laugh. Uh, I just got notifications on the Poll Party Twitter page that we have six new followers in the last 24 hours. Not sure why. Haven't posted on that in about a year. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. Um, our first one, Rory Deneen has joined Susie as a new customer success manager there. We want to congratulate Rory. Yeah, absolutely. So happy for Rory, um, who worked here right out of college, worked here for a few years, did an awesome job for us, such a fun person to work with, super smart, added a lot to the company, moved back to New York and found a great company in Susie that also recently added Katie Gross. And so I'm, I'm hoping for and looking for great things out of them. Yeah, I agree. Our next one is a new study by Cloud Research is suggests that polls are missing shy Trump voters. Yeah. And the reason we bring this up is because the other former host of Poll Party, Mr. Adam Dietrich, currently works at Cloud Research, and this is actually his study. Yeah. So I'm so happy for Adam, who you know, did, did a podcast at EMI and focused a lot on the polling industry and, you know, was involved with APOR and did a lot of great things for EMI for a long time and getting published, um, Bloomberg business week. Um, I saw Frank Lunds commented on it and he's a, a huge, um, pollster in Fox news, Republican pollster. And so I'm so happy for Adam Dietrich and I know he's proud of that and there's a lot of work and I'm just glad that he can kind of chase his dreams and 
But why are you laughing? Did I say something wrong? No. Um, did you happen to see his tweet when it was mentioned by Frank Luntz? He essentially said, all right, I've made it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so kudos to him. I'm sure there's. this is just the first of many. And we shouldn't have probably had this this um, story, you know, what will be 30, 40 minutes into the podcast? Because yeah. you know, they, they did a lot for EMI and they did a lot for the podcast. I mean – Adam did his own podcast and Rory was on ours a ton and she hosted it for a while. And Adam Dietrich, we did the big election special last year. And that's just like the night job, you know, not even counting what his normal day job was. So he's a good guy. I miss Adam and I miss Rory and I wish him the best. And this is, this is great news. Glad to see them being successful. Yeah. And if we get into a little bit of the details of that study too, um, it is intriguing. It's saying that, they're missing potentially like 10 or 12% of people who are really going to say what they're who really they're going to vote for. Well, that's yes. And so even if it's, I mean, imagine how close the race was last time. And if there are even half of that, if it's 5% of people may vote for Trump, but aren't going to admit it in a poll or really shy about it or that, that could go from a really tight race or a Biden win to a landslide, right? The impact of that is huge. And so pollsters are going to have to figure out ways to make sure that they get honest opinions. And the the pollsters that have the best relationships with the respondents, which may be online pollsters, panels that have built a relationship with their panels and will get true, honest opinions from them may do better than a random digit dial from a human being who's a stranger asking you if you like Donald Trump. And that's not an easy question to say yes to, probably. And so who's going to win in that area? That is going to be interesting. Right. I want to give you a stat here that's uh, pretty far down in the article. Um, Back in 2016, people who changed – so people who changed their answers when they said it, where if they were polled previous to voting were saying Clinton – or Trump, and then changed it after being followed up on, uh, that Trump led by that by a 16-point margin. Yeah, yeah. So, and I would think that's a great baseline. At least we have some data to look back on from 2016, right? That's awesome. Right. Because normally, a lot of times we don't with presidential elections especially. But we can look back on that as at least a guide, right? I mean, a lot has changed in four years. And I think even though Trump was divisive or perceived to be very divisive then, um, I don't think it's improved at all. Um, I would think he's probably considered more divisive now than he was four years ago, which probably makes the impact of this even greater. So who knows? I mean, polling is hard when you have two normal candidates without a pandemic going on. Polling is really hard to do. So if you throw this on top of it, I mean, good luck. And so good luck to Adam Dietrich on trying to figure this out. I bet bet he's got another one coming out soon. Oh, I bet so. I bet so. And I think it's going to be just as insightful where you're going through and it's essentially saying on the Republican side, 12%, independence, 10%. They're not going to give their true opinion. So essentially you're not going to, they're not even going to tell you the truth. And we both know that's a big number that can sway your data. Absolutely. I mean, the presidential election last year, four years ago, was decided by less than 80,000 votes, right? Between the the few states that were so close. 
and that's nothing. I mean, that's margin of that's well within the margin of error. That's nothing. So a point or two in a few states could shift the election absolutely. Right, and even in the polls prior to that, uh, you had some showing, like it may have said Hillary was going to win, but it was within that three percent margin of error. If you yeah. take into the account that of these percentages of people saying they're not going to give their true opinion, that sways it. That sways it right there. Yes. Yep. So do you have? We should ask Jeremy Zogby about this. Is do you have to build this kind this kind of information into your poll now? Let's, he would he good answer for this. Yeah, let's get Jeremy Zogby on. We'll get Adam Dietrich on. We'll get the Curiously People, which isn't their company name. That's the company they acquired a year ago. We're getting them on every episode. I feel like we have a list of guests we have to reach out to. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll get Sir Martin on. Maybe he he might be busy buying something else. Right, he's yeah, he's at a bar right now making handshake deals to buy something, guaranteed. Yeah. Well, cool. Any other news? I think that's all. I think that covers all of it. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for going through all the news. Thanks as always for compiling all that. That was a lot of news stories. That was a lot of work on your end. Hey, go look at our webinar on our website. And um, thanks for listening. And I hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. Bye, everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.